Welcome to the Bethesda Church Podcast. We're so glad you've joined us today. If you'd like to contribute financially to this ministry, you can do so at BethesdaChurch.tv slash give and simply select the giving option that works best for you. Thanks again for joining us. We hope you enjoy today's message. giving. Um, glad to see everyone here that weathered the hour you lost and the weather and all the different things. Uh, but we are kicking off a brand new series today entitled um, The Upper Hand. Everybody say The Upper Hand. I'm excited about the series because uh, I want to talk to you about overcoming spiritual opposition. Uh, the truth is, is that I could take time to teach and preach on this subject matter for You could probably take the next year um, and not cover everything that um, we need as it relates to overcoming spiritual opposition. Um, But at the end of the day, I want everybody to have the upper hand over your enemy. I want you to have that. We we want that for you. Um, And with that being said, I, I do know that there are times, there have been times in my life, and I'm sure there have been times in your life, Uh, and maybe even some of you here today, that you would say you were at the mercy of what the enemy wanted to do. Um, And when that happens, what happens during that is is that a lot of times he controls our level of joy, our level of peace. He controls our attitude, uh, our emotions. Uh, Sometimes it can even get to the point where he controls what we do or don't do for God. All because he has the upper hand. We want to reverse that and make sure that we live consistently with the upper hand. And what I'm going to do in this series, I'm going to take a unique look. It's going to be a little bit different. I'm going to use three names of our spiritual enemy to talk to you about the ways the enemy works against you and I as followers of Christ. Okay? We're going to look at the name Satan. And talk about what that means. Satan, literally, uh, one of the meanings of that is control. He wants to control your life. We're going to look at the word devil. That is another name for our enemy. Um, Devil means a liar. How many know the devil is a liar, right? You've heard that preached a time or two. But today we're going to look at his original name, the first name uh, of our spiritual enemy, which was Lucifer. Everybody say Lucifer. Now, Lucifer speaks to pride. That's what it speaks to. It speaks to how pride um, defeats us. And so that's what we're going to look at today. And occasionally people will ask me, well, how do you come up with a series? How do you come up with an idea or what you want to talk about? How do you do that throughout the year? And really, there's a lot of different ways that that happens. Sometimes um, I preach to you uh, out of what I feel God is teaching me. And so I'm like, I'm learning something. I want you to learn it. Sometimes um, it's from... Uh, Not just God teaching me something, but um, I'm in prayer, and and God will say, I want you to talk about this. Uh, Sometimes it's just Karen tells me what to preach. Come on, y'all. Got a smile out of you, and as a good husband, you got to do the right thing, right? I'm kidding, I'm kidding. But but we do talk a lot. You know, we've always said that um, my position is as the pastor and hers as the co-pastor, a lot of times I have my pulse on what God is saying, but a lot of times she has her pulse on what you guys are going through. And it's really unique how God uses those two things uh, and how when we collaborate, God will show us what we need to talk about it, when we need to talk about it, for how long. Uh, but this series specifically came out of just the season we're in, like what God has been doing in our church starting uh, at the end of 2022 and coming into this year, we began talking to you about deliverance and, and, and God setting the captive free and some of those things. And if you were here on Friday night, you literally got to see firsthand that Jesus still has authority over all the works of the enemy. Um, and, and, and so part of what we're called to do is to cast out devils. Now, a lot of people don't like to talk about that, um, but it's something we're called to do as believers. Um, and looking back, even at Friday night, I want you all to know, I know I came out here and it was like I had drank, you know, seven monsters and then tried to preach for an hour. Um, you know, I, I was thinking about how fast I was talking and how much content and like I'm thinking, today I'm going to, can I just slow down? 
I'm, I'm asking your permission to slow down uh, because at the end of the day, I don't want you to feel like you're drinking water out of a fire hydrant. Uh, I, I don't. I don't want to. That hurts, Pastor. You know, like a little easier, a little softer. Like, let me understand. Let me grow into this. And so I, I want that to happen. The, the, the wind for, listen to me, if, if you're called into ministry as it relates to speaking, and preach, and sometimes I miss this mark. If you're called into that, the win is number one, making sure you deliver what God gave you, but number two, making sure you deliver it in a way that people grab it. Because I could preach an amazing message, but if I preach it in a way that nobody could grab it and take, then I, I lost. It's not that it wasn't good stuff, but I have to make sure that the people can grab it. And, and, and listen, I believe that there are, there are seasons where the milk is what we need, but we, we've not been in a milk season around here. We've been in a meat season, right? Which means you got to chew on it a little bit. Come on, y'all ever had cube steak? you got to chew on that thing a little bit. It takes a little bit to digest, <laughs> to digest that. Um, and so I'm going to slow down, uh, and we're going to look at this, but I want to say a couple of things before I, I get into the meat of this. And I said it on a Friday night, but, but the ministry of deliverance and setting people free and winning over our spiritual enemy, listen, that entire ministry is a ministry of compassion. You do that ministry because you love people. It's a ministry of love. Listen, it's not for clickbait or popularity. It's because you want the people of God to live in the freedom that Christ paid for. And so as we prepared for this series, I felt that many of you, you are you're in a season where you're battling spiritual opposition um, from your spiritual enemy. And so we want to give you some tools that I think will help you. Um, and let me just start with this statement. How many of you know that evil does exist? Right? Evil exists. But it's a topic that a lot of people don't like to talk about. But according to Scripture, and I think Scripture should be our guide for everything. Um, according to Scripture, behind every evil person and behind every evil act, there is a very real enemy. Okay? We don't always like to talk about that side of things, but behind evil, we have to understand there is an evil enemy. And in the spiritual realm, which we can't see with the natural eye, the spiritual realm is just as real as the physical, even though we don't always see it. Now, Friday night, we got to see it, and, and we're going to continue to see that. We're going to see the, the kingdom of God being imposed on the kingdom of darkness. We are going to witness that. But you got to know that the spiritual realm is real, and the devil is 100% evil, and he is 100% relentless in trying to destroy you and I. Like he, Listen, there's never going to be a time when he's going to stop messing with you. Now, he, he may, as, as, as with Jesus, we know the Bible says that he left for a more opportunistic opportunity. So, so if he's leaving you alone, alone in the moment, it's only because he's looking for a more specific time to try to come back again. And so we got to understand that. And whether uh, or not you, you believe this, I hope you do, please know you're in a spiritual battle against the enemy, whether you're recognizing it or not. And one of the tools God gave us is the scripture to help us. The Apostle Paul wrote this in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, starting in verse 9. He said, I wrote, I wrote you that letter because I wanted to find out how well you had stood the test and whether you are always ready to obey my instructions. When you forgive people for what they have done, I forgive them too. For when I forgive, if indeed I need to forgive anything, I do, it, I, I do that in Christ's presence because of you. Now watch this, verse 11 is where the, the series title comes from. In order to keep Satan from getting the upper hand over us, for we know what his plans are. 
Okay, so Paul's saying, I'm giving you this word, I'm writing you this letter to make sure that Satan does not gain the upper hand over you. I want you to have the upper hand. And one of the greatest strategies of Satan is to fool people into thinking that he does not exist. That is one of his tactics. He wants you to think he doesn't exist because if you don't think he exists and you don't think it's a real battle, then you will never identify him in your life, working in your life. You'll never confront him and you'll never think it's important for you to resist him. It's why the Bible says that Satan will often appear to you and I as an angel of light. Why? Because when we don't acknowledge that he's working against us and that he's a real enemy, he works covertly. That's how Satan likes to work. He likes to go undetected. And it's popular in our culture when we think of the devil or, or Satan or demons. We, we get an idea, a, a cartoon-like uh, picture. You know, red suit, horns, pitchfork, tail, sitting on someone's shoulder. That's kind of the, 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 the way we perceive the enemy. Um, but they did a poll, Barna did, it's a major research um, um, company that does uh, research based on Bible and believers and all kinds of church stats. And they did a study back in 2009 where they polled thousands and thousands of not unbelievers, of believers. And they asked them if they believed that there was a real devil and real demons. Now, the mind-blowing part is not that they did the study. You would think that would be, you know, a given. We all believe that that's true. Um, but out of that study, they learned that 60% of professing Christians did not believe in a literal devil and demons. They believed that it was all symbolic. 60%. Now, you say, well, why is that important? The reason that is important is because if you're a part of that 60% that thinks it's all symbolic, it has major implications. Number one, it, it implies that you don't believe the Bible. It, it, it implies you don't believe the Bible because the word, just the word demon appears 82 times. So it means, number one, you don't believe the Bible. Secondly, it means you don't trust the apostles. Because Peter, Paul, John, all wrote about a literal enemy. Not a symbolic one, but a literal enemy. It also implies that you believe Jesus is a liar. Because he preached about a real enemy. So much so that he said in Luke 10, 18, he said, I, I saw on the day God defeated the devil, and I saw him fall like lightning. He wasn't talking about a symbolic falling. He was talking about a literal falling. And so there's nothing the enemy loves more than our denials that he exists. It's why the apostle Peter wrote in 1 Peter 5 and 8, he said, stay alert, watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Stand firm against him and be strong in your faith. And that's my prayer for you in this series is that this is a wake-up call that you don't have to be defeated, deceived, or down. You don't have to fall into temptation every single day and live in that, that you can stand in the power of the Holy Spirit and declare, not today, devil, I see your schemes, I know what you're up to, and I'm prepared. But here's what we have to understand. You will never defeat an enemy that you deny exists. The first rule of any battle is to know your enemy. I don't care what the battle is. The first rule is you've got to know who you're fighting. You've got to know who the battle's against. So we're going to look at the, word, the name Satan, the name devil. Today we're looking at Lucifer, which, which talks about um, how he desires to work in our life through pride. And there's a lot, a lot of names that are probably more popular. Devil's pop, more popular than Lucifer. Satan's more popular. Uh, but Lucifer was his original name. That was his first name. You see, Lucifer did not start out as an eternal enemy of God, but he started out as one of God's highest-ranking angels. He was an archangel, the worship leader of heaven. And Scripture says this about Lucifer. It tells us that he was beautiful, 
He was full of wisdom, and he was able to reflect God's glory for all of creation to see. The problem is that over time, he took his eyes off God and put his eyes on himself. And there are two Old Testament passages of Scripture that speak to what happened. The first is in Isaiah chapter 14, starting in verse 12. It says, How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you are cut down to the ground, you who weaken the nations. For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation of the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds, and I will be like the Most High. So God was getting the glory, and Lucifer wanted it for himself. And with a heart full of pride, Lucifer began to pit himself against God. And I want you to notice that everything Satan said, everything Lucifer said, when God ultimately had to cast him out of heaven, it began with with these two words, I will. I will ascend. I will exalt. I will be greater than the Most High. Everything began with I will. And I want to remind all of us today that serving Jesus means that we forsake our will and we lay our will down and we pick up our cross, we deny ourselves, we deny our will, and we choose to follow his will. We don't pray my will be done. We pray his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. If we're going to follow God successfully and defeat the works of the enemy, that means I've got to lay my will down and pick up his will. That's the gospel. And that's the hard part of the gospel, and I'm going to get to that a little bit deeper in in just a minute. Somewhere along the way, we know that Lucifer stopped glorifying God because he wanted that glory for himself. Another passage in the Old Testament that shows us what happened is Ezekiel chapter 28, starting in verse 15. And you may want to, you know, jot these down as a reminder uh, because these speak of, of how Lucifer fell, of how he became our enemy. In Ezekiel 28, it says, You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created until unrighteousness was found in you. By the abundance of your trade, you were internally filled with violence and you sinned. Therefore, I have cast you as profane from the mountain of God and I have destroyed you. O covering cherub from the midst of the stones of fire, your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom by reason of your splendor. In other words, you had it going on. You were beautiful. You had wisdom. Everybody saw how awesome you were. And and, and instead of reflecting that to God, you wanted that for yourself. And And God says, I cast you to the ground. Now, the thing about Lucifer was not only that he fell, but he was so persuasive that one third of the angels chose to follow him. Just because people follow you don't mean you're right. I didn't even plan to say that, but that's good. Because a third of those angels are probably regretting that decision. Those fallen angels, many believe, are now the demons that we face, that we fight. I'm not trying to say yes or no to that. Many believe that. Why does this matter? It matters because after Lucifer was cast down, You and I were created in the image of God, and Satan always targets anything that has God's image. That's why you are always the focus of his attacks as a follower. Anything that looks like God, talks like God, carries the image of God, is in the likeness of God, Satan hates it. He hates it, which means there will be a target on your back. The second reason why this matters is because pride ruined his destiny and he wants to ruin yours. Reality is, though, we all deal with pride. Everyone's favorite subject is themselves. Everyone's. And part of that is because we're born into sin, shaping in iniquity, and we love talking about ourselves. And the reason we do is because we trust ourselves, we prioritize ourselves, and we cater to ourselves. Um, But we have to understand that when, when we live trying to make ourselves look good, we are in pride. 
When, when I think about what I want above what everybody else wants, I am in pride. When I look at others and think, I should have gotten that opportunity, but they did. I'm in pride. When I talk good about myself and bad about others, I'm in pride. And anytime I act in pride, I am carrying out the enemy's desire. I'm carrying out his plan. I want to give you three things about pride. Number one, pride occurs when I fail to give God the glory. Pride occurs when I fail to give God the glory. I used to think that the devil attacked me when I was weak and down. And he does do that. He, he will absolutely try to stomp on you when you're down, when you're vulnerable, when you're weak. That is true. But I have also learned that he will attack you when you are strong and successful. And some of you may be in a great season right now. You're hearing from God. You're free from bondage. God's anointed you. you you're walking closely with God. You're seeing the hand of God. You're seeing the supernatural. You're seeing things move in your favor. You, you sense the favor of God. But you've got to understand that in those moments when it's going well for you, you are vulnerable to pride. Pride is simply not giving God glory for every good thing in your life. Well, pastor, what about my hard work? I earned this position. I saved for this house. I I started this business. I earned the degree, and that is all true. But who gave you the intellect? Who gave you the talent? Who gave you the energy? Who gave you the breath? Who gave you the resources to do everything? Listen, yes, you do, you're doing amazing things, but you've you got, you got to turn that back to him because without him, nothing is possible, but with him, all things are possible. I need somebody to just throw a shout in the atmosphere if you believe that. All things are possible, but it's with him. He gives us what we need to accomplish anything that we accomplish. Every time you achieve a new level or you face an important decision, to either, every single time that happens, you're going to have to make a decision to either receive the glory or reflect the glory. Every single time. I heard one pastor say it like this. Anything you don't turn to praise becomes pride. Every time. Listen, be quick when good things happen in your life to say out loud, I give God the glory. I give God the praise. Don't, because if you don't, you're going to be tempted to think you're all that in a bag of chips and we all love you very much, but you're not all that. It was God. So we gotta, we got to turn it to God. So pride occurs when I fail to give God glory. Secondly, pride occurs when I depend on myself. And I had to learn this one the hard way. I didn't recognize it as pride in the beginning. I, I thought it was insecurity. But listen to me, insecurity and pride go together. The reason you're insecure is because you're depending on yourself. You're leaning on your, that's why it stemmed, the root of insecurity is pride. And I can remember when I first started preaching, how nervous I would get. And for years, even as the pastor of Bethesda, our church was growing, great things were happening. But what you didn't know is that I was shaking and sweating and ready to vomit every time I came out to preach because I, had that, I was that nervous. Now, let me just say, I think we should take preaching very seriously. I think we, we should, you know, honor what, what this is and what we're trying to accomplish and all of that. But what, what was really happening is that I was so self-reliant, it made me extremely nervous, almost to where I couldn't come out and even do this. And the reason I was doing it is because I was in pride. I was self-reliant. And I have learned over the years that the more I just trust God, the more I just say, God, if you, really, if you don't help me, this ain't happening anyway. I, it got a whole lot. Now, are there still a little bit of nerve? Yeah, a little bit, but it's just enough to honor what I'm doing. Not enough to keep me shaking in a green room back here and afraid to come out and hold the microphone. There is a difference, but pride is when you and I are self-reliant, and pride is sneaky. We think of pride as bragging. But in reality, pride is displayed when we are self-reliant instead of God-reliant. How, how do I test if I have pride in my life? 
Real easy. Just test wherever you are failing to put God first. If you can wake up in the morning or go through a day without prayer, you are saying, even though you're not saying it out loud, if you're not praying, you're saying, God, I don't need your direction. When I don't put God first in my week by, by coming to the house of God, I'm saying, God, I don't need you, I don't need your family, and I don't need your leaders. When I don't put God first in my finances, I'm saying, God, I don't need your protection. God, I don't need your blessing. We are self-reliant instead of God-reliant. And my experience is this. The more I depend on me, the worse things get. But the more I depend on Jesus, the better things get. And, and I love that. Just, just moving from self-reliant to God-reliant. And in that transition, listen to me, that small, that seems like a small, okay, I'm going to trust the Lord and not, my, not myself. That small step will bring peace to your life. It'll keep you from losing your joy. Like little, little steps making a big difference. So pride occurs when I fail to give God glory. Pride occurs when I depend on myself. And thirdly, when I'm in pride, I actually give the enemy the upper hand. Few people realize the damaging chain reaction pride causes. Pride will cause God's power to stop flowing in your life. And, and I'm going to give you a verse, and I want you to see this in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5. It says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. In the Greek, the word oppose is a military term. And it means, when it says God opposes the proud, it, it means to bring the full force of an army against you. The full force. In other words, when, when I'm in pride, when you're in pride, we think of resisting. God just stiff arms us. He just kind of, he just stops us. No, that's not what it means. It means that God opposes you. He brings the full force of an army, which means God is not resisting you like this. God is resisting you like this. He's going to make sure to stop you. He's going to bring a full force of an army to resist you. Not only does it stop the power of God from flowing in your life, but pride will also expose you and I to spiritual attacks. If you find yourself this morning exposed to spiritual attack after spiritual attack after spiritual attack, there could be pride in your life. Maybe your next step isn't dust yourself off, pull up your, your bootstraps. Maybe your next step is this, God, I surrender. God, I give it to you. God, I don't know what I'm doing. God, if you don't show up, it's not going to get done. God, I trust you. Maybe your next step is not you figuring out, but your next step is surrendering your will to his will. You're never more vulnerable when you are in pride. It's like the enemy sees you and I without any armor. When we operate in pride, when we live with pride, it's as if we're in the battle without any armor whatsoever. Pride, let me just say it this way, pride is sin. And it also means when we're in pride and we're in sin, we, we don't have the authority to push back on the attack. We, we, we can't fight in pride. We can't push back when we're in pride. You cannot have authority over the enemy while you're carrying the same attitude he does. Pride is why Lucifer was kicked out. And when I carry that attitude, I'm not going to have victory. And so the opposition you're facing, sometimes we're blaming all this stuff on, on the devil. And I, and I know he works through pride, but, but the reason you're not in leadership is because of your pride. The reason the marriage isn't working sometimes is because of your pride. The reason the business is not taking off the way you thought it would is because of your pride. The reason you're having hardship sometimes, it's not because the devil's all messing with you. It's because you're in pride. Pride will destroy your life. It will keep you from experiencing everything God has for you. And you may ask, well, what do I do if I, I, I recognize I got pride? What am I supposed to do about it? We regain the upper hand 
on pride through worship. I love this because pride isn't a quality. It's a spiritual problem, which means it needs a spiritual solution. I thought for years that, that the answer to pride was humility. And, and we, we read the verse, and I believe humility is a, a big part, just, just humbling ourselves. I get that. But I believe that the answer to pride, because here's, here's the truth. An atheist, even if they're not following Jesus, they could be humble in some areas of their life. Lucifer did not go from humility to pride. He went from worship to pride. He, he left a posture of worship and became prideful. Don't miss that. And I believe after his eviction from heaven, I believe Satan had the audacity to believe that if he was kicked out and removed, that worship would not go on. But you, you need to know today that you don't stop what God is doing, even if you are the worship leader of heaven. Listen, because God had a plan to go from one worship leader to a billion. Come on, so I need you to give God more praise than that. Some people think, if I'm out of the picture, it won't go forward, and I've watched God over and over and over. They get out of the picture, and God makes it better. Because he's God. And if you think it'll get worse in your absence, that is a spirit of pride. We need to cast that baby out. That's a spirit of pride. I came to the conclusion a long time ago, if, if, if God wants Bethesda Church to move forward in power and he wants to do it without me and PK, guess what? He can do that. I can't stop what God wants to do. If he wants to use somebody else to do it, he will absolutely use someone else to do it. Don't ever think that, that because you are so good and so gifted that somehow it will get stopped if you're absent. God is God. And he's going to continue to do what he wants to do. And listen, it's impossible to be worshipful and full of pride at the same time. And I'm going to give you two things in, in, in the end of this message I want you to grab. Worship places me in proper position. One of the concerns that I have in our culture is that there seems to be a mindset that says that we get to pick and choose what areas of the word, what, what parts of following God that we want, that we get to pick and choose. Like, I like this part of the scripture, I'll take it. I don't like this part of the scripture, I'm not, but I'm telling you, God is not serving up to you and I a golden corral buffet where we get to pick and choose. I don't want the veggies, I don't want, like, no. God is not offering that guy. He's either Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. It's not I get to pick and choose. I, I want this and I don't want that. No, you've got to surrender your will to his and say, God, I'm willing to do whatever it is you're asking of me in this season. That's what worship looks like. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take this a step further. If you don't take God's instructions, he's not your God. You are. Welcome to church. If, you don't take, if I don't take his instructions, I'm saying he's not my God, that I am. And listen, there are some instructions he gives. There are some pills he gives I don't really want to swallow. But there's a decision that has to be made. Am I God or is he? And it's real simple. He's God. If you've ever said, oh, Lord, I might as well go ahead and go there. If you've ever said after church, you know, you know, honey, I just didn't get anything out of worship today. Just didn't get nothing out of it. Then you misunderstood worship. Because worship is not for our benefit. Worship is for God's benefit. He does not exist for us. We exist to glorify him. Listen, it has never been about me. It's currently not about me, and it will never be about me. And I'm going to go ahead and say that about you. It's never been about you. It's not currently about you. It will never be about you. It will always be, it always has been, about one person, and his name ain't Chad. It ain't Alex. It ain't Pastor Karen. It ain't Pastor Jen. It, it's one name. It's Jesus. That's who it's about. 
It's about one man named Jesus. And, and listen, your, your proper position is as a worshiper. God's proper position is the one being worshipped. I love that. And, and, God, and what I love about God, he's so awesome. He's like, yeah, I, I, I deserve the worship. I'm pretty good. Um, but not only do I want the worship, I'm going to tell you how I like it. That's, that, isn't that awesome? Like, I, I want, I'm going to be worshipped. But I, you, you, you don't just worship me how you want to. I know where, where we say real cute, just worship him however you want to. No, you don't. He's, a, he's actually told us how he wants to be worshipped and how he receives worship. And you guys know the verse. Psalm 150 says, it starts out in verse 1, praise the Lord. Let me just stop right here and say that is not a suggestion. Praise the Lord here is a command. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his acts of power. Praise him for his surpassing greatness. Praise him for the, uh, with the sounding of the trumpet. Praise him with the heart. Praise him with the timbrel. Praise him in dancing. I didn't put that in there, y'all. y'all some of y'all are like, I don't dance. Well, you need to learn. He said, I, w- I want to be praised in the dance. He said, praise him with the strings, praise him with the pipe, praise him with the clash of the cymbals. And here's the part I really like. It says, praise him with resounding cymbals. You know what God is saying right there? He said, I want it loud. Some of y'all come up in, it's loud. In God said, I want it loud. I want it resounding. So it's too loud at church. You're not going to enjoy heaven. It's going to be loud. I don't know if they pass out earplugs there. We obviously do here. I'm sure we don't need earplugs there, you know, in the new body. But, but at the same time, you need to know God isn't. Some people are like, well, God ain't deaf, but he ain't nervous either, baby. Like he ain't scared of a little bit of noise. He, he, he's not scared of that. He said, I want it resounding. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. And you would think he would be done right there, and he's not done. And then he says it again, praise the Lord. Over and over, we are told how to praise God. And, and here's the thing. Jesus is, for, for about a decade now, we've heard a lot of teaching in the body, in the Big C Church, a lot of teaching about Jesus as our friend. Jesus um, full of love. Jesus full of grace. Um, all those things. Jesus full of compassion. And he's your friend. He's your best friend. And all of that's great, and it's true. But it's only a half truth. Because Jesus is not just our friend, he's our Lord. And, and so not only is he our Lord, it, it means that um, it's not just grace and compassion and love, but there's also truth and conviction and doing the right thing are all a part of his lordship in your life. Is he a friend? Yes, he'll be your best friend. But don't forget that he is Lord. And I want to drive this step, this point a little bit further that raising hands during worship is a big challenge for a lot of people. And the reason this is a challenge for a lot of people is because we care too much about what people think. We care too much about what people think. First, First Timothy chapter 2, verse 8, look at this verse. It says, therefore, and, and men, I apologize. You lost an hour of sleep, you came in the weather, and now you have to hear this verse to the men. Therefore, I want the men everywhere to pray, lifting up holy hands. I want you to pay attention to, to what Paul is saying here and what he's not saying. He did not say, I want the men and the women and the children everywhere to pray, lifting up holy hands. Paul specifically told the men 
to pray and to lift up holy hands. In other words, Paul understood that men are supposed to set the standard. There is something that happens when the men of God go first and pray and lift up their hands that the wife falls in line. Watch this. The children fall in line. That the whole family begins to worship God and serve God because men are to go first. That's to the men. Now, now, now watch this. There's a stat, and it's proven to be true, that when a man gives his heart to Christ and he goes after God, 85% of the time the whole family gets saved. There is something about, you say, well, what about the women? What about them? I'm for them. I'm for them. I just know that biblically and scripturally, men are supposed to be leading. They are supposed to be going first. They are supposed to be setting a standard for worship in their home. Some of us, not me, I was raised in a very physically demonstrative house. Like, and what I mean by that, lots of affection, lots of hugs, lots of huggy-kissy. I was raised in that kind of home. Some of you were not. You were not raised. You knew you were loved. But you, 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 your family, maybe they were not the huggy-kissy type, any of that, that kind of thing. And what happens is, is when you come into church and you give your life to Christ, um, some of you that were not raised in a home like that where you showed your love, you may struggle to come in and lift your voice and to tell God you love him and, and to lift your hands in praise and, and to do what the scripture says we should do as it relates to worship. But listen to me, and I don't say this harshly. At all. I, but I do want you to know that if you are so concerned about what is going on around you, that you can't speak to your Heavenly Father and lift your hands and worship Him, you're not worshiping God. You're worshiping people. You are prioritizing what they think about you. And listen, they didn't die for you. They didn't save you. They didn't deliver you. And what I love about lifting up, whole, I, I can't explain this thing, but something about when we lift our hands up, when I lift my hands up, it is a surefire way to put my pride down. Those of you with children, you know the feeling of a child coming to you with their hands lifted, saying your name. Everly is seven years old, and I can pick her up from school, and she likes to stay at something they have at their school called aftercare. And she likes to stay because that's the free time. That's the time they just run around like crazy, you know, playing ball and, you know, doing their games, and she likes to stay for a little while. And, it, and a lot of times they, they put them in a gym. And so I can walk into the aftercare, and I can be about from here to the back corner of this room away. She's on the other side of the gym. And they will say, Everly, your dad's here. And she will turn, lock eyes, and then sprint as fast as she can. She's seven and still does this with her arms up saying, Daddy, Daddy. Listen to it. She's seven years old. And it still melts my heart because when her hands go up toward me, my heart is moved towards her. And I'm telling you, every single time you lift your hands to God, his heart is moved towards you. Every single time. I want you to stand with me. I'm going to close with this because worship, worship not only puts me in proper position, worship gives me proper perspective. Psalm 34 says, I'll bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make its boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear of it and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. He said, all times I'm to worship him because every day the enemy will invite you into pride. Worship will keep pride out of your life. I will boast with, with my mouth. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. See, you will either praise self or you will praise your Savior. And then he said, oh, magnify the Lord. And I love that because a lot of times you think, if you magnify God, does he get bigger? No, absolutely. You can't make God bigger than he is, but your perspective of God changes. And when you have proper perspective, you get a view, you start getting a view of a big, 
big God and a little, 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 little devil. But some of you walk around here acting like it's a big devil, little God. Wrong perspective. Worship gives me proper perspective. Back in, I think it was the 15th century, worship team, you guys can come begin to play. 15th century, there was an art critic by the name of Robert Cumming. And when I say art critic, he was a critic of art. Like he criticized, he pointed out the flaws. And there was this one painting by a guy by the name of, of, of Lippy. And the painting was of Mary holding baby Jesus. And there was disciples around. And, uh, but a lot of critics before Robert Cumming had criticized the work. Um, they could see the use of color in a good way. And there were certain things that were good. But it was like the picture, it was out of proportion. Like the heels seemed to be like falling out of the framework. And it looked like Mary wasn't even focused on Jesus. It looked like the disciples were not even focused on Jesus. And so every other critic had criticized this painting. But Robert Cumming also, he criticized it until one day he had a revelation that the painting that everyone was criticizing because it looked out of character, it looked disproportionate. Everyone critical of it. He, He remembered this painting was not to be hung in a gallery for people to come by and look at. It was always meant to be hung in a place of worship. And so he put the pieces together and and this picture that looked completely out of whack and nothing really made sense. No one's even looking at Jesus in the picture at eye level, at surface level with that perspective. So he, he had to revelate. It was supposed to be in a place of worship. And so he knelt down on one knee And he looked up at the painting. And the painting that when you looked at it at eye level, everything was out of of whack. But when he knelt down in a posture of worship and he looked looked up at the painting, it was a masterpiece. Everything in the painting made sense. The heels were not falling out of the framework. They looked perfectly set. The disciples' eyes were looking specifically at Jesus from that angle, from a posture of worship. Even Mary, now it doesn't look like she's looking past Jesus. It looks like she's looking directly at Jesus. Everything made sense from a different posture. And I say that because I find that story compelling because as long as you stand in pride, you will never see victory. But anytime you humble yourself in worship, you have the upper hand over your enemies. Every single time. You come on, James. So I want you to bow your heads for just a moment and close your eyes. No one looking around. We're going to do a couple of things here. Celebrate that 9 o'clock even on, on a day like today, two people gave their life to Christ. We celebrate that. That's still the, the greatest miracle of all, is lost people being saved. So I want to speak to you in this room, those watching online, but if you're in the room and you say, Pastor, I know I'm not right with God. There's sin in my life. I know I need to repent. I know I need to make Jesus the Lord of my life by surrendering my will to His. I'm not going to complicate this. I'm not going to scream and yell and wear myself out up here. I'm just going to tell you, He's here to save you. He's here to change your life, to change your destiny. The enemy would love to destroy your destiny. And, and listen, he, he wants nothing more than for you to end up in the same place He's going to end up. But Jesus came to change all of that. So if that's you today, not going to prolong it, but if that's you, say, Pastor, you're talking to me. I need to give God my life. I need to make things right. If that's you, would you just throw your hand up right there where you are? Say, Pastor, you're talking to me. Thank you for this hand over here. God bless you. I see that. Our compass directors will get to you in just a minute. Anyone else you say, that's me. I want to give you an opportunity to make Jesus your Lord, to make Jesus your King. Anyone else? Spirit for what you're doing in this place. Thank you for this hand. I see that back there. God bless you. I see that. Thank you. Your life's about to change. We're going to pray with these hands that went up. 
I'm still humbled by this moment more than anything else that we do. Changing eternal destinies. Jesus came to do that. I want us to pray out loud where everybody, where you can hear what you're saying with your own ears. I want you to speak it out into the atmosphere. Everybody together say, Dear Heavenly Father, I come to you in the name of Jesus. I'm a sinner. I've committed sins. I need a Savior. I can't save myself. So I ask you, Jesus, to save me, to forgive me. I repent for all my sins, and I choose to follow you. Thank you for saving me and changing me. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, church. Let's give it up for those two. We celebrate with you. We celebrate with you. staff if you would to come forward get in a place ready to receive those that may need prayer but I want to do something a little bit different here if you need healing, direction maybe a word of encouragement, deliverance it doesn't matter what it is, whatever you need Jesus is in the room, he's here to do that, he'll he'll do anything you need, I know there are services we prioritize certain things but listen all things are possible when Jesus is in the room, it doesn't matter what it is, it's possible Don't ever forget that. Come on, hit your neighbor and say, all things are possible. All things are. So we're going to pray for people as you you need prayer. The worship team is going to lead us. But I really feel like this message of being in the proper position through worship and having the proper perspective, let's not make this last song just a song. Let's take on the posture of worship. You may need to get out of your seat. You may need to come forward to do that. If you want to walk around the room, if you need to kneel, but let's take a few minutes to worship until we know pride has been defeated. Come on, every hand should be lifted during this time. Every voice should be lifted. Let's give God the proper praise that he deserves. As the worship team comes, give him the best praise you have all day long. Come on, church. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Bethesda Church. We hope you'll stay connected by following us online. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and our website, BethesdaChurch.tv. Thank you for joining us and have a great day.